0: Well, good morning, church. It is great to be with you this morning. It's been such a good morning around here. The, the first service and what we have just been led by in, in our time of worship by Pastor Joel and his team, it's been such a wonderful spirit of worship this morning. Well, we are continuing today in our sermon, sermon series called Emmaus. Over the next few weeks, we are looking at this encounter in Luke 24 that the resurrected Jesus had with a, a few disciples. We're going to read the whole passage together in just a few minutes, but um, I just want to uh, summarize briefly. Uh, There are two disciples who are uh, walking from Jerusalem to Emmaus following Jesus' death. We we don't know much about these two. They they could have been friends, or some speculate that they could have been um, husband and wife. Whoever they are, they had misunderstood their scriptures, and they couldn't come to grips with what had just happened in Jerusalem. After all, saviors, messiahs, powerful ones don't get killed on crosses. I mean, their mental constructs just couldn't make sense of all this. It didn't fit into their system. And these two disciples aren't alone in this. There have been all kinds of people who have misunderstood scripture. There have been plenty of people who have failed to understand who Jesus is and what Jesus is all about. Plenty of people have gotten scripture wrong. That's what we're talking about today. How do we see Christ in scripture? Or maybe better yet, how did Jesus view himself In light of scripture as i said the the two in the story aren't the only ones who have missed jesus when reading the bible there's a very well-known individual who decided to make his own version of the new testament so with a a very fine blade and and some glue he pieced together his own version In, in the process he left out all the miracles anything supernatural anything having to do with the divinity of jesus especially the resurrection and what was what was left was a nice document with good moral teachings. This person was Thomas Jefferson and the book was known as, is known as the Jefferson Bible. And for Jefferson and other deists like him, Jesus was a good moral teacher, but he certainly wasn't divine. And so Jefferson, you might say, made scripture in his own image. And unfortunately, the Bible has been misused for a long time to endorse all kinds of evil behaviors. It's been used to condone slavery, to justify wars, to carry out the extermination of people groups, to give license to the religious crusades of 11th, 12th, and 13th centuries. The Bible can be used to justify justify just about whatever you want. If you're looking for it, you can piece together a few verses and find it. If you want Thomas Jefferson's moral teacher, Jesus, you got it. If you want an enemy-killing God, you can find that. If you want a God that favors your country over all other countries, you got it. Whatever viewpoint you want to justify, you can find some selected scriptures to carry out what you already believe to be true. But the question for us as followers of Jesus, is that a faithful reading of scripture? And so let's take a look again at this story in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 24. I wanna read the whole passage again for us today. Now that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. about Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it's the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning but didn't find his body. They came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they did not see Jesus. He said to them, how foolish you are, and how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus continued on as if he were going farther. There they found the eleven and those with them assembled together and saying, It is true, the Lord has risen and has appeared to Simon. Then the two told what had happened on the way and how Jesus was recognized by them when he broke the bread. Cleopas and his companion are in a bad place. I mean, they are in a bad place geographically. I mean, after all, Jesus said he would meet his disciples in Galilee and here they are heading away from Jerusalem in the opposite direction from Galilee. But not only is their geography messed up, they are in a bad place mentally, emotionally, and relationally. The text tells us that they were two of them. and The them is being two of those who had been following Jesus. They were a part of that group, but now they find themselves away from the group. They're disconnected and they're cut off from their people. And their faces are downcast. They're disappointed and disillusioned. They did not have room; their reality didn't have room for what had just happened in Jerusalem. I mean, e- even though they had been part of this group following Jesus, they could not make sense of what had happened in these in these events of the last few days. And if we're wondering, if you're wondering why, you just well, that's a good question. And to know why, we just have to listen to what they say. In verses 20 and 21, they say, "The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him." but we had hoped that he was the one who's going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it's the third day since all this took place. Their hope was that this Jesus, the one they described as prophet and powerful in word and deed before God and all the people, I mean, their hope was that this powerful one would be the one who would redeem Israel. And redeem Israel, it's a euphemism for take down our enemies. Their hope was that Jesus would remove all oppression and in turn put them over other peoples. To redeem Israel meant making them a force to be reckoned with. I mean this kind of this kind of, of redemption looks like parties in the streets, flags, flags waving. Just this this past week I was I found a documentary on, on Netflix and it's about the manhunt for, for those responsible for the Boston Marathon bombing just 10 years ago. So after after days of looking after hundreds of police officers, tanks and SWAT teams, helicopters, the, the final suspect was caught hiding in a boat in someone's yard. And when he was brought into custody, I mean, the town, the town went crazy. Hundreds or probably thousands of people took to the streets in that community. And they cheered for the police officers, they, they raised American flags and shouted, USA! USA! I mean, they, they did it like only Bostonians could do it. The one who had been terrorizing their city for more than 100 hours had been brought into custody, they got their guy, and they could come out of their homes, And they could go about their business in peace. That's what these people, these two on the road to Emmaus, that's what they longed for. They weren't the only ones. They wanted to get rid of those who made them feel unsafe, who made them do things they didn't want to do, who made them pay for things they didn't want to pay for. And Cleopas and his companion are devastated that their hopes have been dashed because the one that was powerful in word and deed was now dead. And it's safe to say that dead people cannot lead a revolution. And Jesus is really, really dead. They say three days he's been dead. How did they get to that point? You may wonder. I mean, with Bibles in hand, we, I mean, we've got enough Bibles in here, probably three for every person. Between here and our homes, we've got plenty of Bibles. With Bibles in hand and years of history at our side, we think it's easy to see Jesus in all of Scripture. And we scoff at those who believe Jesus came to lead a violent revolution or to, you know, to be kind of a, a political leader that they had hoped for. I mean, hadn't these people ever, you know, didn't they read their own Bible? Didn't they know their history? Don't they know that Jesus came to set us free from our sins, not from the Romans? And if I'm honest, if, I think if Jesus was alive today, we would want the same things from him. I think our hopes would be that he would turn things around in our world so that we, his followers, that we would be on top. I I see it in the way that we try and fight culture wars, the way we spend money to have our candidates elected, and the way we support those voices who echo our own. I I get it. I mean, we see a world that's mixed up, that's bent on violence and greed, and so our reaction is to say, enough. Let's get our people in there. Let's get control of this thing and, and take it over. And so we can search the scriptures and we can find some verses that support us in that endeavor. We want what they wanted. We we want the Jesus who is powerful in word and deed, we want the mighty prophet who will put all other pretenders and contenders down. And at times, I think we're even a little disappointed or embarrassed that Jesus, Jesus of Nazareth, who died on a cross, isn't like that. Like Cleopas and his companion, we had hoped. But into our disillusion, into our disappointment, Jesus comes to us. Jesus came to this this couple and walked with them. He joined them on their journey. He didn't leave them. He didn't want them to go astray. I love that Jesus comes to them and he asks them questions. He gives them space to process their grief. And this is what Jesus has been doing his entire ministry. Jesus, the rabbi, asks questions of his disciples. He wants them to wrestle with things but but he doesn't leave them there. It's not like some Bible studies that you've attended where every answer is the, is the right answer. Jesus after allowing them to process their thoughts and their feelings, to share their understanding, Jesus re-narrates all of scripture so that they can see and discover that it was all pointing to him. And it wasn't just that it was all about him, but that all of scripture testified to a savior who must suffer. The cross was no accident. I imagine that Jesus recounted Isaiah 53. Listen, listen to some of these passages. He grew up before him like a tender shoot and like a root out of dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him. Nothing, nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain. Like one from whom people hide their faces, he was despised and we held him in low esteem. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering, yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds, by his wounds we are healed. Moving to to verse 7, he was oppressed and afflicted, and he, he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter as a sheep before its shearers is silent. So he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment, yet he was taken away. Yet who of his generation protested? He was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgression of my people, he was punished. He was assigned a grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death. Though he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. I'm guessing that Cleopas and his companion had read the writings of Moses. I'm guessing they were familiar with the prophets I mean, this is the first step. We do have to know scripture. We do have to read it in order to know it. But in reading it, we need Jesus to narrate it for us so that we can see Jesus in scripture. We need to invite Jesus to sit with us, to talk with us, to inspire us as we read his word. In John five forty six, Jesus says, if you believe Moses, you would believe me for he wrote about me. John five thirty nine and 40 says, you study the scriptures diligently because you think that in them you have eternal life. These are the very scriptures that testify about me, yet you refuse to come to me to have life. And then, at the beginning of Jesus' ministry, just after returning from wilderness temptations, the gospel writer Luke shares this story. It says he, Jesus went to Nazareth where he had been brought up, and on the Sabbath day he went into the synagogue as was his custom. He stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. And unrolling it, he found the place where it is written. The anointed one, the one foretold in scriptures, was Jesus. Jesus was the one who would proclaim good news, who would free the prisoners, give sight to the blind, and set the oppressed free. But for those on the road, these two on the road to Emmaus, Jesus' death was the end of the story. They had failed to see and understand that Jesus' path, that path of death and resurrection, was the path of ultimate liberation. The love of God was magnified in the cross of Jesus Christ. And without the cross, there is no glory. Good Friday and Resurrection Sunday go together. I mean, this is what the, the Apostle Paul was constantly trying to convey to the churches that he ministered to. In First Corinthians, Paul writes to the church, For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, the intelligence of the intelligent. I will frustrate. But where, where is the wise person? Where is the teacher of the law? Where is the philosopher of this age? Has God not made foolish the wisdom of the world? For instance, in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not know him. God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. Jews demand signs, and Greeks look for wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles but to those whom God has called both Jews and Greeks Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. And then in another letter to the church in Galatia Paul writes may I never boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. I think it's safe to assume that Paul would tell us that if we are reading scripture in any way where the cross disappoints us then we're not reading it correctly. I mean, after all, Paul once pursued members of the way. The, the follower, he pursued the followers of Jesus. He pursued them. He was zealous for God, yet his zeal was misplaced. He stood by while people were persecuted and killed in the name of this God. Paul needed his view of God to be deconstructed so that he could rightly see Jesus. And I know he said that the de- deconstruction word. For some of us, that, that, can, that word can get a bad rap. Sometimes we see it as a, as a way just about walking away from faith. But sometimes it's necessary because our view of God is contrary to the way of Jesus. We need to keep going back to the scripture. Yeah. We need to read in community with other believers and we need to ask Jesus for help. We need Jesus walking beside us as we strive to figure it all out. Amen. The reality is without Jesus helping us, a savior who dies on a cross will never make sense. But this is the wisdom of God. This is, where, this is where life is found both now and for all eternity. At a time when far too many people were using the Bible to justify slavery, these prisoners, stolen from their homeland and put on trial, saw something in the very same scriptures that liberated them. They saw not, not a God who was out to punish them, but Jesus who came and suffered like them, Jesus who went to the cross and was raised to new life. Amen. Who is the God that you've been worshiping? If we're honest, when things are going well, we probably don't give this much thought. When we are on top, when life is going our way, when our people are getting elected, when culture supports our way of life, and our view of God, is, is, it's pretty secure. We don't question much when God gives us what we want. But most of us don't live there. Most of us have experiences like these two on the Emmaus Road. We had a plan of how things would go, but it didn't pan out the way that we had dreamed. Maybe you worked for years and years faithfully giving time, your time and years, energy to your employer. You dreamt and made plans for retirement, then you retire only to hear the doctor say cancer. Maybe you're a parent who did your best to raise your children in a Christian home. You read all the books, you took them to church. You try to make faith a regular part of life, and now your kids want nothing to do with the faith. Maybe you're a student. Your parents have done their best to give you a living, active faith. Brought you to church. You've done your best to show up, make them happy, read your Bible, go to district events. Go to camps, but then you see in the world, and you've seen in churches, doesn't quite match up with with the Jesus that you've heard and read about. And now you're on a journey, walking away from where Jesus said he would meet his disciples, disappointed and disillusioned. And the only words that you can muster are, "But I had hoped." Can I tell you something? All is not lost. Things may be different than what you had planned or expected. But right now in the middle, in the middle of your journey, Jesus comes to you. He walks with you and he talks with you. He gives you space to grieve, but Jesus just doesn't stop there. Jesus, when we give him the invitation like the two did in this story, Jesus comes and resides with us. Did you notice that these two weren't transformed when Jesus told them things? It wasn't through the acquisition of new information that made them change their minds. I listened to a podcast this week with a woman who had, had a Master of Education degree from Harvard in, in mind, brain, and education. She's also an ordained minister and a nationally recognized expert in disciple-making and the neuroscience of transformation. When talking about how transformation happens, said it's not through the gathering of facts I mean you can know the fact that God is good but does that change the way that you live we need to be transformed through relationship through experience and by remembering and recounting our own story she said the head doesn't teach the heart it's the heart that teaches the head So it's no wonder that Jesus doesn't just stop by telling them new information. I mean, he will teach us. He will guide us and instruct us. He'll open our eyes so that we can see him correctly as the resurrected, crucified Lord. But he'll also come to where we are and dine with us, show us his nail-pierced hands and invite us into new life with him. It shouldn't be surprising that we discover this Jesus at our lowest points for it's when there's a diagnosis when failure strikes when we're abandoned by those we love it's there that we discover who Jesus really is he's the one who is with us the incarnate one who knows what it's like to be human in our own suffering we discover the one who who suffered but was raised to new life Joel has come to lead us in a song of response and I would encourage you just to seek Jesus to welcome him alongside you to speak to you as I was thinking about how how to close this time together I, I kept thinking of just a number of things I wanted to say and do but I just had to come to the realization that just as Jesus joined these two on the Emmaus road He knew them. He knew what they were going through and where he needed to meet them. The Holy Spirit is is competent, is willing, is able to meet you where you are. I don't know what it is you're carrying. I don't know what it is you're going through. I don't know what it is, the, the grief that you carry. But Jesus is here. And he will meet you.